Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kevod Malkuto Le'olam Va'ed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. It is prophesied in the book of Amos that in the last days there would be a famine in the land. Not a famine for food, but a famine for the word of God, as it is written in Amos 8, 11, and 12. Behold, the days come, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. Amos 8, 11 and 12. Even in the days of Joseph, there were seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. He had stored up grain for the seven years of famine. The Daily Audio Torah is your storehouse where you can get grain. It is 20 minutes every day of pure scripture flowing out, living manna to feed your spirit. Are you being blessed by this ministry? Please consider supporting Daily Audio Torah. You can make a one-time or a recurring donation by going to dailyaudiotorah.com and then click on the Give pick on the navigation menu. You can then make a secure online donation there. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you for your support. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week, we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Bird Hadashah. Today, we continue the Torah portion, Ray, and it means see. Deuteronomy 15, 1-23 At the end of every seventh year, you must cancel the debts of everyone who owes you money. This is how it must be done. Everyone must cancel the loans they have made to their fellow Israelites. They must not demand payment from their neighbors or relatives, for the Lord's time of release has arrived. This release from debt, however, applies only to your fellow Israelites, not to the foreigners living among you. There should be no poor among you, for the Lord your God will greatly bless you in the land he is giving you as a special possession. You will receive this blessing if you are careful to obey all the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. The Lord your God will bless you as he has promised. You will lend money to many nations, but will never need to borrow. You will rule many nations, but they will not rule over you. But if there are any poor Israelites in your towns when you arrive in the land the Lord your God is giving you, Do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Instead, be generous and lend them whatever they need. Do not be mean-spirited and refuse someone alone because the year for canceling debts is close at hand. If you refuse to make the loan and the needy person cries out to the Lord, you will be considered guilty of sin. 
Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. There will always be some in the land who are poor. That is why I am commanding you to share freely with the poor and with other Israelites in need. If a fellow Hebrew sells himself or herself to be your servant and serves you for six years, in the seventh year you must set that servant free. When you release a male servant, do not send him away empty-handed. Give him a generous farewell gift from your flock, your threshing floor, and your winepress. Share with him some of the bounty with which the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were once slaves in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I am giving you this command. But suppose your servant says, I will not leave you because he loves you and your family and he has done well with you. In that case, take an awl and push it through his earlobe into the door. After that, he will be your servant for life and do the same for your female servants. You must not consider it a hardship when you release your servants. Remember that for six years they have given you services worth double the wages of hired workers, and the Lord your God will bless you in all you do. You must set aside for the Lord your God all the firstborn males from your flocks and herds. Do not use the firstborn of your herds to work your fields, and do not shear the firstborn of your flocks. Instead, you and your family must eat these animals in the presence of the Lord your God each year at the place he chooses. But if the firstborn animal has any defect, such as lameness or blindness, or if anything else is wrong with it, you must not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. Instead, use it for food for your family in your hometown. Anyone, whether ceremonially clean or unclean, may eat it, just as anyone may eat a gazelle or deer. But you must not consume the blood. You must pour it out on the ground like water. Job 20, 1 22, 30. Then Zophar the Namathite replied, I must reply because I am greatly disturbed. I have had to endure your insults, but now my spirit prompts me to reply. Don't you realize that from the beginning of time, ever since people were first placed on the earth, the triumph of the wicked has been short-lived and the joy of the godless has been only temporary? Though the pride of the godless reaches to the heavens and their heads touch the clouds, yet they will vanish forever, thrown away like their own dung. Those who knew them will ask, where are they? They will fade like a dream and not be found. They will vanish like a vision in the night. Those who once saw them will see them no more. Their families will never see them again. Their children will beg from the poor, for they must give back their stolen riches. Though they are young, their bones will lie in the dust. They enjoyed the sweet taste of wickedness, letting it melt under their tongue. They savored it, holding it long in their mouths. But suddenly the food in their bellies turned sour, a poisonous venom in their stomach. They will vomit the wealth they swallowed. God won't let them keep it down. They will suck the poison of cobras. The viper will kill them. They will never again enjoy streams of olive oil or rivers of milk and honey. They will give back everything they worked for. Their wealth will bring them 
no joy, for they oppressed the poor and left them destitute. They foreclosed on their homes. They were always greedy and never satisfied. Nothing remains of all the things they dreamed about. Nothing is left after they finish gorging themselves. Therefore, their prosperity will not endure. In the midst of plenty, they will run into trouble and be overcome by misery. May God give them a belly full of trouble. May God rain down his anger upon them. When they try to escape an iron weapon, a bronze-tipped arrow will pierce them. The arrow is pulled from their back, and the arrowhead glistens with blood. The terrors of death are upon them. Their treasures will be thrown into deepest darkness. A wildfire will devour their goods, consuming all they have left. The heavens will reveal their guilt, and the earth will testify against them. A flood will sweep away their house. God's anger will descend on them in torrents. This is the reward that God gives the wicked. It is the inheritance decreed by God. Then Job spoke again. Listen closely to what I am saying. That's one consolation you can give me. Bear with me and let me speak. After I have spoken, you may resume mocking me. My complaint is with God, not with people. I have good reason to be so impatient. Look at me and be stunned. Put your hand over your mouth in shock. When I think about what I am saying, I shudder. My body trembles. Why do the wicked prosper, growing old and powerful? They live to see their children grow up and settle down, and they enjoy their grandchildren. Their homes are safe from every fear, and God does not punish them. Their bulls never fail to breed. Their cows bear calves and never miscarry. They let their children frisk about like lambs. Their little ones skip and dance. They sing with tambourine and harp. They celebrate to the sound of the flute. They spend their days in prosperity and then go down to the grave in peace. And yet they say to God, Go away, we want no part of you and your ways. Who is the Almighty, and why should we obey Him? What good will it do us to pray? They think their prosperity is of their own doing, but I will have nothing to do with that kind of thinking. Yet, the light of the wicked never seems to be extinguished. Do they ever have trouble? Does God distribute sorrows to them in anger? Are they driven before the wind like straw? Are they carried away by the storm like chaff? Not at all. Well, you say, at least God will punish their children. But I say he should punish the ones who sin, so that they understand his judgment. Let them see their destruction with their own eyes. Let them drink deeply of the anger of the Almighty, for they will not care what happens to their family after they are dead. But who can teach a lesson to God, since he judges even the most powerful? One person dies in prosperity, completely comfortable and secure, the picture of good health, vigorous and fit. Another person dies in bitter poverty, never having tasted the good life. But both are buried in the same dust, both eaten by the same maggots. Look, I know what you're thinking. I know the schemes you plot against me. You will tell me of rich and wicked people whose houses have vanished because of their sins. 
But ask those who have been around, and they will tell you the truth. Evil people are spared in times of calamity and are allowed to escape disaster. No one criticizes them openly or pays them back for what they have done. When they are carried to the grave, an honor guard keeps watch at their tomb. A great funeral procession goes to the cemetery. Many pay their respects as the body is laid to rest, and the earth gives sweet repose. How can your empty clichés comfort me? All your explanations are lies. Then Eliphaz the Temanite replied, Can a person do anything to help God? Can even a wise person be helpful to him? Is it any advantage to the Almighty if you are righteous? Would it be any gain to him if you were perfect? Is it because you are so pious that he accuses you and brings judgment against you? No. It's because of your wickedness. There's no limit to your sins. For example, you must have lent money to your friend and demanded clothing as security. Yes, you stripped him to the bone. You must have refused water for the thirsty and food for the hungry. You probably think the land belongs to the powerful and only the privileged have a right to it. You must have sent widows away empty-handed and crushed the hopes of orphans. That is why you are surrounded by traps and tremble from sudden fears. That is why you cannot see in the darkness and waves of water cover you. God is so great, higher than the heavens, higher than the farthest stars. But you reply, that's why God can't see what I'm doing. How can he judge through the thick darkness? For thick clouds swirl about him and he cannot see us. He is way up there walking on the vault of heaven. Will you continue on the old paths where evil people have walked? They were snatched away in the prime of life, the foundations of their lives washed away. For they said to God, Leave us alone. What can the Almighty do to us? Yet He was the one who filled their homes with good things. So I will have nothing to do with that kind of thinking. The righteous will be happy to see the wicked destroyed, and the innocent will laugh in contempt. They will say, See how our enemies have been destroyed? The last of them have been consumed in the fire. Submit to God, and you will have peace. Then things will go well for you. Listen to his instructions and store them in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored, so clean up your life. If you give up your lust for money and throw your precious gold into the river, the Almighty himself will be your treasure. He will be your precious silver. Then you will take delight in the Almighty and look up to God. You will pray to Him and He will hear you, and you will fulfill your vows to Him. You will succeed in whatever you choose to do, and light will shine on the road ahead of you. If people are in trouble and you say, Help them, God will save them. Even sinners will be rescued. They will be rescued because your hands are pure. 2 Corinthians 1 1 to 11. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ, Yeshua, and from our brother Timothy. I am writing to God's church in Corinth and to all of his holy people throughout Greece. May God our Father and the Lord Yeshua HaMashiach give you grace and peace. All praise to God the Father of our Lord Yeshua HaMashiach. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort 
that God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Yeshua. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort that God gives. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But, as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. And you are helping us by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. Psalm 40, 11-17 Lord, don't hold back your tender mercies from me. Let your unfailing love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles surround me, too many to count. My sins pile up so high I can't see my way out. They outnumber the hairs on my head. I have lost all courage. Please, Lord, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. May those who try to destroy me be humiliated and put to shame. May those who take delight in my trouble be turned back in disgrace. Let them be horrified by their shame, for they said, Aha, we've got him now. But may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness in you. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, The Lord is great. As for me, since I am poor and needy, let the Lord keep me in his thoughts. You are my helper and my savior. O my God, do not delay. Proverbs 22, 2-4 The rich and poor have this in common. The Lord made them both. A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. True humility and fear of the Lord lead to riches, honor, and long life. I want to speak to you today from our Torah portion from Deuteronomy chapter 15, and then we're going to jump into Job chapter 20, because he raises a very, very important question that many of us have had that same question come up in our own lives. So let's begin with Deuteronomy chapter 15, and this chapter is talking about what the protocol is for releasing a servant who has served you for six years, and now we're in the seventh year. And then God says, you need to let him free and have that servant be in the seventh year, be set free. And when you set them free, do not send the male servant empty-handed, but give him a generous farewell gift from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Share with him some of the bounty with which the Lord your God has blessed you. And he wants us to remember, Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 15, that you were once slaves in the land of Egypt, 
And the Lord your God redeemed you. And that is why I'm giving you this command. Now, here's what I want to zoom in on, verse 16 and 17. But suppose your servant says, I will not leave you because he loves you and your family and he has done well with you. In that case, verse 17, take an awl, it's like a wooden nail, and push it through his earlobe into the door. After that, he will be your servant for life and do the same for your female servants. So this is a servant who is staying because he loves his master. He's a volunteer voluntary servant and it's he's a bond servant and it's from love from the heart so i want to take a look at some cross-reference scriptures from the new testament and let's begin with paul and paul says in romans chapter 1 verse 1 paul a bond servant of christ jesus called as an apostle set apart for the gospel of god now think about it Paul is saying he is like this bondservant that we just read about from Deuteronomy 15. A wooden awl, a nail, a wooden nail goes through your ear. It's like, Lord, you have my ears. Go ahead and punch a hole through my ear as a mark and as a sign that I belong to you. And I'm your love servant, your bondservant. You have my ears. You have my heart. You have my hands. You have my feet. Um, another place where this term of bondservant is used is in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. For am I now seeking the favor of people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And finally, we have the example of Yeshua himself. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, it is written, But he... Yeshua emptied himself by taking the form of a bond servant and was born in the likeness of men. So here's the question. Are you a bond servant of Yeshua? Have you asked him, I don't want to be set free at the end of seven years I don't want to be a slave. I want to be a bond servant. You have my ears. You have my heart. You have my hands. You have my feet. I serve you as my master out of love, not out of duty, not out of religion, not out of a sense of of bondage or slavery, but out of love. That's what he calls us to, is to be a bond servant, a love slave. Now I want us to go into Job, chapter 21. And Job raises an eternal and very important question that many of us have struggled with. Here's the question, I'll just paraphrase it. Why do bad things happen to good people? And it seems like the wicked prosper. So that's what Job is asking here. In Job chapter 21, starting in verse 4, my complaint says Job, is with God, not with people. I have good reason to be so impatient. Look at me and be stunned. Put your hand over your mouth and shock. When I think about what I am saying, I shudder. My body trembles. Why do the wicked prosper, growing old and powerful? They live to see their children grow up and settle down, and they enjoy their grandchildren. Their homes are safe from every fear, and God does not punish them. 
And he goes on to say how these wicked people are prospering, and yet the righteous seem to suffer the most. And he asks this question, and it's a fair question. It is. He's being honest with God. He wants to know why. Why are the wicked prospering? And I, and many others like me, the righteous, suffer so much. There's no easy answer to that question. At the end of life, the Lord may show us a bigger picture. When we look at a handmade rug made from loops of yarn, on the top side we may see a beautiful pattern and design. But when we look at the bottom side, all we see is a tangle of knots. And sometimes our life can feel like it's just a big tangle of knots. But yet on the top side, the heavenward side, there's a beautiful design and pattern that is there. And it may not make sense to us now in this life. Maybe it'll make sense 10 years from now, 20 years from now, maybe on the other side. Then it will make sense. But the main thing is we need to trust God. It seems like a lot of times when we go through trials, it's some kind of a test. God wants to know, do we love him in spite of an unanswered prayer, in spite of these difficult circumstances? Do we love him and will we trust him no matter what? I don't know about you, my friend, but I want to pass the test. And now I want us to look in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Starting in verse 8. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. As a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God. Now there is an answer. They went through such severe trials, they thought they were going to die. And they had to stop relying on themselves and rely only on the Lord. And that's what he wants. He doesn't want us to lean on our own arm of strength, our own abilities, our own experiences and talents. He wants us to lean on him completely. Trust him through what seems to be an impossible circumstance. When you're at the end of your rope and you're ready to just let go and quit and give up, that's when we cling to God and say, I can't go on. I need you. I need your strength. I need your second wind. I need you to help me through this very tough trial. I cannot endure it. I need you, Yeshua. Help me. That's where he wants us to get to. And may we get there sooner rather than later. Have a blessed day, and we'll see you tomorrow. Shalom. Mareka 
Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.